God, I thank you for this time we have together. Father, I'm so thankful, God. So, so thankful, Lord, that we have a wide open church, God. Lord, that we can come together, Lord, and spend time with one another, Lord, that we have a building that's warm. Maybe a little too warm, God, but it's okay. We're so thankful for it, God. I pray today, Lord, that none of us just came in to check a block. Lord, that none of us came here not expecting you to show up. Father, we know all this is for nothing if you're not in it. And so, Lord, I'm asking now, Father, I thank you for the worship that we had. Lord God, what a blessing. I pray it blessed you. But, Lord, it always blesses us to give you praise and worship. But, Father, now I'm asking, God. God, would you be honored and glorified as we read your word? Father, would you speak to us? And, God, most of all, would you change us? Pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, you guys... We're still digging through the Sermon on the Mount. That's basically all of chapter 5 in Matthew. And the Sermon on the Mount is a major portion of Scripture. I'm sure you guys know that. But here's why it's a major form, portion of Scripture. It's not just because it was kind of one of the first times that Jesus really like laid it out and really gave a sermon. It wasn't that. That's not the reason. The reason that the Sermon on the Mount is so vital is that literally it gives us a picture into what heaven is like. It gives us a picture into what Jesus came to bring. And the, the part of scripture that we're going to be looking at today, you know, we looked at the stuff that already, you know, the Beatitudes, and we went through those things, and we talked about, like, they're not the how, it's, it's the why. It's, it's man, this is, this is why we live. We're blessed when we live these ways, when we're meek, and when we're peacemakers, and when we're doing all these things. You guys remember all those? We looked at the fact that his whole message was about the heart. It didn't have to do with the outward appearance of things. It didn't have to do with like making sure that you guys, you know, that we all like dotted every I and crossed every T and did everything just right. It was more about the heart. It was about the inner qualities that we'll see in a disciple. And this is a call that Jesus gives to everybody, not just the Jews of that day that he was speaking to, but all of us. And it isn't easy, is it? It doesn't take much reading through some of the stuff that Jesus says and be like, I don't know if I can do that. And that's kind of the point. It's not easy. It's, it's actually impossible outside of the power of God. And so it's all meant to be something that shows us and draws us into a relationship with Jesus and into a relationship with God. And so today we're going to dig through these next five verses. And can I tell you guys, for those of you that have been, that, you know, you're here and you're a believer and you've been a believer a long time. Well, this is just a simple gospel message. But can I encourage you guys, please don't check out. If you're here and you have no clue what I'm talking about, you're here for the right reason, right? This is, this is the truth of the gospel. But if we don't have a concrete understanding of this portion, this tiny little section, these five verses, guys, can I tell you, we cannot understand the next section. We cannot grasp this idea when he's saying, you've heard it said, but I'm saying to you this. You've heard it said, but I'm saying to you, we can't get a hold of what Jesus is really getting at in the rest of this chapter until we really have a concrete understanding of this portion. And so dig in with me, open your ears, please don't go to sleep. And let's get ready. Verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. 
The thing that I really felt like the Lord wanted us to touch, we looked at this last week, but the thing that I wanted to talk to you guys about today in this verse is this, Father in heaven. To a Jew, that was a shocking term. That was mind-blowing. Father, Abba, in heaven? Like, to, to the Jew, Yahweh, right, God, Yahweh was the lawgiver. He gave them the law. Yahweh was omnipotent, which means all-powerful. Yahweh was omniscient, means he knew everything, and he knows everything, beginning and end. He was omnipresent, which just doesn't mean that he's everywhere at the same time. It means he's everywhere at the same time, all the time. Get your head around that. So if you're like, I'm just doing this secret little sin, guess what? God's there. Right? He's not present just everywhere at the same time. He's present all the time. That should really give us a heart of like, first off, Lord, man, wow, you see every moment of my day. You see every thought, everything. But also, guys, it should give us comfort because he also knows the end and he still sent his son. Right? So this is how the Jew, the Jewish person, the Jewish man or woman of that day looked at God. They looked at him as this all-powerful you know, being that they had to go and sacrifice to. Now, they had heard God called Father occasionally. But the reality really was for them that they needed to go and sacrifice to make sure that they were good with God. Those that were, you know, orthodox and really truly trying to follow after God and had a heart to follow after God saw God as somebody that had every right and could just squash them. Right? Now, they knew he was love. And they knew his mercy, but they didn't, they didn't, that wasn't the push, right? The Pharisees, the scribes, they didn't push that side. They pushed the law side. He will crush you if you don't do these things. We've got to have a handle on that because here's the truth. We take that for granted, don't we? That God's the father. He's pops. He's our buddy. And he is. But can I tell you guys something? We should be fully aware and keenly aware, and I believe the church today isn't, that he's God, that he is almighty, that he does have the power and the right to blink us out of existence if he chooses to. Now, we serve a loving, amazing, gracious God, so he won't. Do you understand? But I think we look at all the lovey-dovey side, and we, we kind of like say that, oh, look at who God is, and he's amazing, and I love him, and he, I can do pretty much whatever I want, and then he'll forgive me. And like, sometimes that's the way people in church look at God. And we kind of forget that God is God, that he's king, right? That he's Lord. And when we say Lord Jesus, when we talk about words like Lord, do we understand what that means? That means he's the boss. That means what he says we do, right? Like this Bible is not full of suggestions. It's full of like things that he says we should do. And yes, he's a gracious God. We cannot forget all those things, but I just, I feel like we need to recognize that he is our father, but he's also king. And if he's king of our lives, God, what does that mean? That means that our aim in life, our goal in life, should be to bring God, our father, the one that loves us more than any other human could ever begin to love us, that we should bring him nothing but obedience and praise. And that doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. We're far from it, right? 
So we do rely on God's grace. But guys, I don't want us to use our imperfection or God's grace as a doormat. I don't want us to use that as an excuse to read something in God's word or to not read anything in God's word ever and think we're okay with God. Do you understand? Like, I want to read God's word and say, God, wow, that's a hard one. Lord, being meek for me is hard. Help me. God, I need you because I want to be obedient to you. Amen? Verse 17. Jesus says this, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. But for assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. So Jesus clarifies his reason for being here on earth. He's saying, listen, I'm not coming here to create some new thing. I'm not coming here to blow up the old paradigm that you're living under. I'm coming to fulfill all of it. And it's important that we understand that because the Jews that are hearing these things, this was like totally altering. This was mind blowing. They were like, what is happening here? This guy's not saying the same thing the Pharisees always tell us. This guy is not explaining the law the way the scribes explain it. This is something different And so Jesus is taking a moment to say, I'm not bringing a different thing. I'm not destroying what you've lived under all this time. I'm fulfilling it. And we need to understand that, guys. We need to understand this is an important point that he was making. Why? What was the purpose of the law? We need to understand that first. The purpose of the law was to show humanity that they're never, ever going to be good enough to, to be perfect. That they're never going to be perfect enough to fulfill every law all the time, forever, until they die, and then go to heaven because they made it on their own. That's the whole point of the law. That's why they had to constantly bring a spotless lamb. Notice it isn't a spotless human being. It's a spotless lamb because they can't be spotless. The human that brought the lamb had to figure out and find the one that was perfect, quote unquote, to the eyes to sacrifice, to make a way to say, Lord, this is your requirement. You want a perfect sacrifice. This is the best I got. And they laid their sins upon that lamb and they sacrificed it. It was a bloody affair every time. It wasn't clean. If you read the Old Testament, it's bloody. There's blood everywhere. We need to get our heads around that because that was their experience that was their understanding and and they're like this sucks this isn't good we're never going to get there ah every year lord this is the best i can do for you and people that meant to do that guys god sees that and god saw that in their lives and god saved them do you understand they're not lost because they didn't see jesus we see that in scripture we can go into that that's a whole other passage that's yeah literally another sermon series anyway the point i'm making though is is the fact that there were people that did that They lived their whole life under this covenant, under that idea, and they're in heaven. So it wasn't like that wasn't satisfactory. But do you understand that that was a yearly, all-the-time thing? That was like a constant, constant thing. And so what did Jesus do? He came to fulfill it. What was the purpose of the prophets, right? The law and the prophets. Those are the two things that he brings up here. That's the entirety of the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. You'll hear that a lot. What did God use the prophets for? To bring correction? To foretell of future events? To bring warning to the Jews and say, if you keep going this way, you're going to get spanking. 
right? You're going, to get, you're going to get taken away by the Assyrians or by the Babylonians, right? Or all these different things that happened to them. It gave direction to the nation of Israel, right? Nathan came as a prophet to, to David all the time and was like, don't do this. Or you already did this. You messed up. You better repent, right? Like there was always a sense of direction for the nation that came through the prophets. And most importantly, the prophets consistently and always pointed Israel, pointed the people to Yahweh constantly. That was the most important thing they did. So Jesus, guys, was fulfilling all of that. He's fulfilling all of it. And we have the benefit of hindsight, so we know what that means to the law, but we're going to talk about that today anyway because I think it's important to remember. But can I talk to you guys quickly about fulfilling all of the prophets? Because that's a little bit more ethereal. That's a little bit more out there, I think, for a lot of people. And I think it's important to take a moment and look at that, that he fulfilled the law through being that perfect sacrifice for us, but really he fulfilled every requirement that God had prophetically. If a prophet was to be true, we're told in the Bible that if his prophecy, if a prophet went and prophesied and it wasn't true, do you know what the penalty was? Death. You were to be killed. So think about that if you're looking online and you find prophet so-and-so today that's talking about President Trump and what that means. You're stepping out onto some pretty scary water if you don't really know you heard from the Lord because the biblical demand is death. If your prophecy is wrong, you're a false prophet. But we see throughout the Old Testament, all these prophets that came and said all these crazy things, right? They seem kind of crazy. There's actually 300, over 300 prophecies about the Messiah, the coming Messiah in the Old Testament, over 300. Today, I want to look at eight of them because there's this book called Science Speaks, and it's by a guy named Peter Stoner and Robert Newman, and they discuss the statistical improbability of one man fulfilling just eight of the prophecies. Eight of the 300 prophecies. That is just statistically impossible. The chance of it happening is one in 10 to the 17th power, which Jeremy Agassiz looked up. It's one quadrillion. One in one quadrillion. You could win the lottery like 20 times over quicker than you could fulfill eight of these prophecies in one man. You understand? Like, it's insane. And so he gave this this thing to present a scenario. He presented a scenario to illustrate it, to show us the magnitude of this. So we're going to have it up there, but you guys can listen to me and read along. So suppose that we take 10 to the 17th power in silver dollars and lay them down on the face of Texas. They will cover all the state two feet deep. Now mark one of the silver dollars and stir the whole mass thoroughly all over the state. Blindfold a man and tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes, but he's got to pick one silver dollar and say that that was the right one. What chance would he have of getting the right one? The same, prof, the same chance the prophets would have of writing these eight prophecies and having them all come true in one man. From their day to the present time, and then this last little point is important, providing they wrote using their own wisdom. Isn't that what the world always says? Oh, this is written by man. Really? How do you prove all these prophecies that are true? This shows us it's ridiculous. It's statistically impossible. And guys, Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies. There's not a number to put to that. Do you understand? It's insane. And so I want to look at just real quick. We're going to, I'm going to read with you these eight prophecies that I just picked eight random prophecies. And I have a list of 45 that I can give you guys if you want. Just come up and talk to me later. But Messiah being born in Bethlehem is in Micah 5.2. 
says, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. But you, Bethlehem, the tiny little place, Messiah being born of a virgin is found in Isaiah 7.14. says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall, so, shall conceive and bear a son. We all know physically that's not possible. So Isaiah was a crackpot if this didn't come true, right? Like think that through. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Messiah will be in the Davidic line. That's in Isaiah 9. Six and seven, it says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Messiah is going to be preceded by a messenger. We find that in Isaiah 40, verse 3. The voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Remember, we've talked as we've gone through Matthew that I don't think John the Baptist was like, oh, Isaiah said this, so I better go out and get get busy, right? John the Baptist was just doing what John the Baptist was doing. He just so happened to fulfill the prophecy too. You understand? Messiah is going to be rejected by his own people. That's found in Isaiah 53, 3. He is despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Here's Isaiah speaking about something that wasn't going to happen for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Messiah will enter Jerusalem by a donkey, Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a coal, the foal of a donkey. And I skipped one. Messiah is going to die for humanity. That's actually found in Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. Can you back to that? I'm sorry. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we have seen him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Guys, we got just one more. We'll go through it. And I just want to say one thing. But Messiah will be trade for 30 pieces of silver. Remember Judas? That's in Zechariah 11. 12 through 13. Then I said to them, if it, is the, if it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter. That princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. Zechariah was making a visual point of what Judas was going to do, how Judas was going to react what Judas was going to do. Do you guys understand? Think about this. Malachi was written, the last prophet that we see in the Old Testament. There was a 400-year gap before Matthew. Every one of the prophets we just read is older than Malachi. While I take a drink, ponder that. If you're here and you're a believer, can I tell you, you don't believe some random fantasy. 
You believe something that's absolutely 100% truth, grounded, amazing, deep. If you're here and you're not a believer and you've believed those people that say, oh, this is written by man, I just proved to you. I just showed you eight of many prophecies about one man that came and fulfilled all that. It's impossible. It's not possible. We have so much proof that Jesus is who he says he is that there's really, you're kind of dumb to not believe it, honestly. Right? If we're going to believe science like we keep hearing all the time, which is a ridiculous statement because science is literally the study of what we don't know, and we're going to believe it? Really? But anyway, sorry, sidetracked. But if we're going to believe that, and people say that with such fervor. I was talking to my wife the other day, and Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi was like, I believe science. I trust science. And I'm like, wow, I would not trust science. Science used to tell us that if we held ourselves upside down and bled ourselves with leeches, we'd get better. I'm not believing science. Right? Like, study of science is good, and we find things out. But I'm not believing in that. I want to believe something more concrete. This is significantly more concrete. Significantly. I want to believe that. He says this, none of what we read here is going to pass away. Right? None of it until the earth, heaven and earth pass away. We read through the book of Revelation. That's not coming for quite a while, guys. When we get raptured, we go to heaven. When we come back and we reign for a thousand years, after that, after all of that, heaven and earth will pass away and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. That's when this is no longer needed. Why? Because he'll be right in front of our face. That's why this isn't needed because he's there. His word, Jesus, is, is here. You understand? Like at that point, we're good. So he's, he's making this massive statement. And so again, if you're not spending time in God's word every day, why not? Because this is it. It's not going away. We need to know it. We need to believe it. We need to understand it and we need to follow it. Because people's souls are at stake, guys. Right? Like, our hearts should be to say, Lord, I want to bring every last person. And if I get the privilege of bringing the last person before the rapture, that one last person that needs to come to the Lord, then so be it. I want to be that. Right? If you're here today and you don't believe in the Lord, you might be the last one. So get up here and let's do this because I want to go home. (laughs) You know? He's saying not one jot or tittle. The jot and the tittle, just to give you guys an idea, the jot was like basically a representative of the, of the Greek word iota, or some people say iota. You guys ever hear this statement of like, right? I don't care one iota about the nonsense. I don't care one iota. Well, what that means is I don't have any little bit of care. That's the jot. He's saying the littlest, tiniest thing in all of the law and the prophets is not passing away. None of this is passing away. The tittle is like the, the dot on the top of the eye. That's what he's saying. So he's saying that the law will always be here. Why? Because it's a clear standard to humanity to show us that we won't make it on our own. That's what it's for. And we need to understand that that doesn't change God's standard. Do you understand? Jesus did not come to change it. He came to fulfill it. The only way we can fulfill the standard, God, is by a perfect life. Is that anybody here? No, not me either. None of us. If we understand the purpose of the Old Testament law, 
then I think we begin to understand Jesus' words in its proper context. And I, I feel like we really, I know this might seem tedious to some of you guys, but I, I feel like it's important because, guys, how often do I get to hear people say, oh, man, I don't know, I'm not doing very good here, and this is hard, and I don't, you know, and they get all worked up, and they're worried, and why are they worried? Well, because they're not able to do it on their own, and it's like, man, the more you understand that you're, ne- you, we know that. You're not fooling anybody. Yes, you can't do it on your own. You're absolutely right. Good for you. That's a lesson learned. Now, who can? Jesus. Jesus can. That's the whole point. Fall on him. Keep trying. Keep focusing. Keep going to God and saying, God, I'm sorry I missed the mark again. Please help me. That's the whole point. We cannot do it. We're not perfect. Can you guys say that with me? We're not perfect. We're not perfect. So why do we come to church sometimes and act like we are? Why do we come to church sometimes and be like, oh, hey, we fought the entire way here. I cussed you out. I'm mad at you. But hey, come on, put on a good face. Hi, guys. I'm so blessed. Right? <laughs> come on, be real. Ain't none of us walking in here perfect. Nobody. And guys, I think the more we get our head around that, do you understand? Like, I think that that's like kindling for God to just throw into the fire and watch us burn, right? In a good way to light us up. Like he said, we should be a city on a hill. We should be on fire. We should be light. How does that happen? That happens by being lit up. The more we get it that we are not perfect, but that Jesus is, the more we as a church come in and say, for real, I want to do the work. I want to do the work. I want to say, God, I'm giving you all of it. God, I'm not ashamed to admit that I'm not perfect. And I'm not ashamed to admit that to my brothers and sisters around me. That I'm done with the fake persona. That I'm done with just being fake. When that happens, guys, churches grow. When that happens, your life explodes. Because you're like, I, I get this a grace thing. I, I understand this grace thing. Do you understand Calvary Chapel started? I'm going totally on a tangent. Calvary Chapel started, guys, the organization we belong to, with a bunch of drug addicts, with a bunch of hippies. Why did it work? What made a difference in the 70s with the whole Jesus movement? It was people admitting and recognizing, I'm not perfect, but I know who is. That's literally all it was. Somehow, some way, we've lost that in the modern-day American church, especially where we we feel like, no, we are perfect, and we're going to show everybody we are, but really deep inside, our life is like hell. And, and we need to flip that back and be like, our life is hell. God, you're heavenly. Help me. Right? We need to flip it again. We need to get back to that and understand that it matters, guys. It matters that we have a clear and concrete understanding that we cannot make it on our own, and that's okay, so that we stop faking and that we start being real, because then God is like, you are the right canvas for me to paint on. You are the right thing for me to use. You're ready. Watch me move. Watch me do stuff through you. Don't believe the enemy's lie. And if you're still here after all that and you think somehow that you're different, can I burst your little non-reality bubble? Romans 3.23 says this, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody. So if you're online and you're watching and you're like, yeah, that's not me. Yes, it is. If you're here and you think that, it's you, it's me, it's all of us. And that should be an encouragement. Do you understand? If this is beating you down and, and stuff, I, I, I got to say to you, you still don't get grace. 
You still don't fully understand God's grace. Because to me, the admitting of the fact that I'm not perfect and that my foot fits very well into my mouth and that I say things that I shouldn't say and I do things I shouldn't do, it's not like I'm proud of that. I'm totally not. I'm ashamed. I wish it wasn't true. But it is. And so I can say, God, help me. God, I need you. Please, Lord, move. And then God gets to do the work. Verse 19. Jesus says, whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. It's these verses It's verses like this that Jesus said that, can I say to you guys, this is where the enemy loves to twist the church up and be like, oh, see, I can't do it. I I give up. And that's why we need to understand that when he said these things, he wasn't lying. He was speaking absolute truth. Why? Well, the Pharisees were walking around telling everybody that they got it all figured out. There's a lot of modern-day church Pharisees that are walking around and being like, oh, brother, oh, sister, do it like this. Follow this pattern. Right? Be a wicked legalist and then you're good. Isn't there? There's a lot of people like that. I've met some. I went to a church down in Texas. I was deployed down there and I went to this church and I showed up and all I brought down because I was only supposed to be down there for three weeks and it turned into three months and I needed to go to church. And so I went to this church and all I had was some blue jeans and a t-shirt and I was asked not to come back because I had blue jeans on. That's sad. And if you're here today and that's happened to you, I'm sorry. As long as you come in clothed, we're good. (laughs) Right? It's wintertime, so I really do hope you're coming in clothed, right? But like, I I don't care what you're wearing. God will figure that out. If you're walking in a Budweiser shirt, I promise you, you probably in a few weeks won't be because you'll be like, nobody else is wearing something like this, right? But you don't have to wear a button-down shirt. Nobody cares what you wear. Nobody. We want you here. Right? Like, There's not one thing, and that's what the Pharisees were doing. It's about how you dress. You're only allowed to walk so far on on Sabbath because, you know, you're breaking a law. There's all these laws. There were ten commandments. You guys know that, right? You know what the Pharisees and the scribes and all them did to that? They made it into 613, and they did it so that they could build fences around the original ten so that basically you were so far out in the field away from the original ten that you could never, ever, ever screw up. That was the idea. And Jesus is coming here and he's saying, no, <laughs> right? Like that's, you, that's not the point. And so when we look at these things, we see that Jesus is explaining that, look, the Pharisees and the scribes, they're trying to do something, but they're doing it in the flesh. They're doing it on their own. And he's saying like, they're not all that in a bag of chips like they seem to think they are. Again, there's no one on the earth. You're not righteous enough. You're not good enough. You're not close enough to perfection. You can't be friendly enough. Or in modern day, guys, you can't be relevant enough to the culture around you to bring people to Jesus. You cannot be, you know, like this amazing person that is just fully invested and aware. You know all the proper pronouns for every person on the earth, and you're just amazing. And everyone's going to love you. They might love you, but that's not going to show them Jesus. Right? And I'm not saying go out and be a jerk either. But my point is, guys, is that It's the recognition that we're not perfect and we will mess things up. 
It's that recognition, guys, that draws people in because they don't have to keep faking it. They see someone that's not faking it and they're like, right? It's like literally everyone else takes their masks off and they're like, what, what's different about you? I, you're not wearing this, right? So let's not be a church that's wearing a mask. Let's be real. Because I'm telling you guys, there's impact there. There's impact. We all need a savior. And guys, that savior is Jesus. Flip over to John 3.16 with me. I know most of y'all got this memorized, but we're going to read it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world, notice, to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We need to remember this because, guys, these next couple weeks when we're going through the rest of this, you're going to hear some hard things. And the enemy's going to want to be like, oh, man, you're just a loser. You're right. You're, you're a loser. You, you're, you don't get this. You're, you suck at this. That's what the enemy wants to sell us. And can, we, can I remind you guys that he didn't come into the world to condemn us? He came into the world to save us. John 14, 6, flip over to that. Just a couple pages over. How do, we, how do we get out of this fake life? How do we live in a way that's going to bring any glory or honor to anybody but us, right? To, to God. How are we going to do that? John 14, 6 says this. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. You guys, again, very simple message today. But I, I just felt like we need to understand this before we go forward. And I think there's a lot of believers that have been believers a long time, and I'm one of them, that can fall back into this mindset or this notion or mode of thinking, you know, God, I'm doing pretty good here. I think, I, I th- I think you can take the training wheels off. I think I'm okay. And then I'm like, and I wreck. And then I'm like, no, I need the training wheels. Right? Am I the only one here that's like that? <laughs> And so for those of us that have been walking with the Lord a while, can we take a moment and go back to the basics and say, God, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that it's not just training wheels. It's a whole bubble. It's everything. Like I'm walking in absolute and complete safety. I'm walking in absolute and complete assurance that you did all the work and I believe you did it and I'm okay. If you're here today and you still think there's something in you that thinks that you're good enough, you're not. You're not. Stop fooling yourself. Accept the grace that God poured out. Accept it. Accept that God made a way for you to be forgiven of your sins. If you're watching online and you've never heard this message, please don't wait. I'm not kidding. I want to go home. So for real, if you're the last one, please hear me. The moment of salvation, I've been talking to some brothers and it, it just struck me the other day that the moment of salvation to me is like Dorothy in Kansas. And then the next thing, when you accept Christ, it's like she opens her eyes in Oz and sees color. And for all of us that are here that are saved, I want to take a moment and go back to that moment when everything made sense. When for a split second, when we realize on our own that we're not going to ever make it and we say, God, I need you. I want you. Please, God. 
For me, that was like a moment of absolute 100% crystal clarity. I was like, oh my gosh, I can breathe. I can move. I could do this. And, and it was amazing. And then the enemy loves to just get in there and start adding a little, little mud, a little stuff to you and being like, no, really, it is God. But it's also, you know, you got to work really hard and you got to do this and you got to do that. And you better get better at that. And oh, man, your language sucks. You need to fix that. And man, you should stop saying sucks. And you should like do all these things, right? Like there's all this stuff that gets added to it. And then we're like walking around and we're like, this isn't as fun. And we, why? Because we forgot. We need to go back. Start again on the yellow brick road and be like, we are free. We are free. Guys, we're going to do something a little different today. And I, I'm not saying that we're going to do this every Sunday, but I, I just want to say something. I've been to a lot of churches and yes, out West churches are like huge and there's a lot of people and everybody comes and down South, same thing, right? But there's something that I love there. And that is this, that the front was where you prayed. People came down front. I'll tell you why I like that, because I think it requires a little bit of extra. Right? It requires something in you. And I said it last week that I'm saying, look, if you want prayer, be intentional and go find it. And can I say that, and I'm not saying this is a guilt because it's up to you what you do with this, but to be honest with you, I don't know about y'all, but I always need prayer. Every moment of every day, I could use some prayer. So if y'all are thinking about it, please pray for me. I need it. My wife especially, more importantly, needs it because she has to deal with me every day, right? So there's this, this idea that we all need prayer. And so I've asked a few people to stand down front with me. And I'm going to say to you guys, if you need prayer, look, it's Christmas. Merry Christmas, by the way. It's a hard time this year, isn't it? I've been talking to a lot of people and some people are like, man, my family's not going to come. My family's doing this thing where they like meet with certain families back in Pennsylvania. And I I think that's weird, but that's okay. Right? I'm not there, so I'm not going to meet with them. But the point is, is that it's weird this year, isn't it? We got a lot of people going through a lot of things. And and Christmas in general can be a hard time for people. And so we're going to have people coming down and I'm going to end in prayer, but we're not going to have a final song. And I want to encourage you guys, if you need prayer for a hangnail, please come up and get prayer. If you... And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus or you don't know that you know Jesus or whatever that situation is for you, please do not get up and walk out. Take some time and come down front. Let's talk. Amen? Let's pray.